Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. And so great to be here with you this morning. Uh, I love Imago Day. My wife, Becca, and I lying up there, my son in the front row. We just, we love this church. And I shared this last time, but it was just such a joy being here, uh, doing graphic design and, and taking photos, making videos, risking my life, sneaking up on that ledge on Easter. I don't know if you can, a few people probably saw me up there, but I was, I was just snapping photos of the packed out house last week. How great was Easter last week? Anybody enjoy that? It was so special being here together. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to share with you this morning. And um, you know, we've just spent the last 40 days repenting, fasting, reading through the Gospels together on Sunday evenings. We've uh, eaten beans and rice. You know, we've come and gone through the stations of the cross, and we've meditated on Christ's suffering and his death. And then we've come and, and we've uh, celebrated the risen Christ and his triumph over sin and death. And we've seen people baptized into his resurrection. But the question that I want to ask you this morning is this. What now? Where do we go now? Like after all that, what comes next? And the answer of the Gospels, the answer of the Gospel of Luke, the answer of Matthew and John and Mark and, and, and the book of Acts is it's the Great Commission. And that's really Imago's vision, isn't it? It's the whole Gospel to the whole person to the whole world. And I want to just say up front that I realize that I'm preaching at a church that has a rich legacy of this, a rich legacy of being a vibrant witness that has carried the gospel to one of the most secular cities in the nation, that's, that's gone through the nation, that's gone to Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam and, and, and is digging wells for clean drinking water in Kenya and, 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 and that's lived this out. But I want to say, Let's not just rest in the past. There's still work to be done. You know, let's look to the future like Pastor Alex was just saying. So with that, would you read with me in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4 through verses 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to come and, and pray this exact passage uh, for myself and just say, Come, Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God, I just pray that you would move in this room. I pray that, that your spirit would come in this room like Pentecost, that the, that the little mini 
individual temple Shekinah glories of God would just, would just descend on us like tongues of fire. And, uh, and I pray you'd move in this church, Lord. I pray that Imago's most vibrant, rich, uh, meaningful, dynamic days would be ahead. And, uh, and I just thank you for the opportunity that we're a part of your kingdom. We're a part of one body. And I uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the year is 782. Charlemagne the Great has just declared himself the king of the Holy Roman Empire. In a single day, waging a war against the Saxons, he's beheaded over 5,000 men. In addition to that, he's uh, displaced over 10,000 people, relocating, breaking up families, uh, uh, separating families, and scattering them to different parts of his empire. And he goes to those families with this proposition, baptism or death. Horrendous. Hello, welcome to church. (laughs) That's one way to get the numbers up for the impact report, I guess. (laughs) But that that comes the question. Is that what Acts 1-8 unleashed? Is that what the end of Matthew, the Great Commission, really bought forth? Is evangelism, by its very definition, something that's oppressive, something that's uh, imperialistic, something that's destructive and, 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 and detrimental and just leads to absolute exploitation? Is, is that what the New Testament tragically unleashed? Is that what Jesus envisioned? This passage says that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit to empower his apostles to be witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But for many today, this is super problematic. It's, it's an issue. Evangelism is a dirty word. Believing in Jesus in 2023 is already kind of problematic, <laughs> Like, it's like, just, just believing in Jesus in 2023 in Portland is hard enough, but you want me to convince other people to believe in him too? Like, that's, that's just beyond the pale. Absolutely not. But I want to suggest that everyone is a witness for something. That's our first thought this morning. Uh, I think we got it on the screen. Everyone is a witness for something. I listened to an interview with a professor named Americus Reed. Uh, He's at the University of Pennsylvania. And he talks about how brands uh, in the 90s switched from just kind of being like, yeah, ours is better, ours is cheaper, ours is faster, to becoming systems of meaning. And how nowadays brands have this cult-like devotion. And I'll quote Americus Reed. He goes on and he said, When you can create this system of meaning uh, and you promise to deliver on certain values, consumer connects the brand in terms of identity rather than simply an argument about how it has better features. When that happens, an institution can count on the fact that nobody's going to switch brands because that would be to betray who they are. They, they become eager to refer to these enthusiasts as brand evangelists because they're now willing to go out there and protect the brand. There is a language about brand that almost feels like the individual is talking about religion or politics. 
But today, we're not just invited to be witnesses for Nike or Harley or Apple or for Adidas. No, no, no. Now everybody is evangelist for their own brand. We're trying to build our own little curated identities online. We're trying to build our own little individual empires. We're trying to, to, uh, to convince people to take up their TikTok, treat themselves, and follow us. <laughs> like, like we, we want, we want to, to build this persona online so that people will get in line and, 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 and win the world for ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I get invites from like, random guys I knew in like middle school who are suddenly like public figures. I'm like, oh, well, suddenly, oh, that cool. Billy from my algebra class is a public figure all of a sudden. I mean, I get invites to like like people's fan page for their dog online. You know, everybody is a witness for something. Now, uh, coming from the shiny, sunny Southwest where we get a lot more sunshine than you, I do get, because I'm from Albuquerque originally, I do notice here in Portland, sometimes it's like, you know, Jesse, you got to cool it. Like, here in Portland, we keep things subtle. Like, we keep things understated, okay? Evangelism, enthusiasm, like, that just doesn't work up here in the Pacific Northwest. Like, we have a refined palate, you know? If you get too excited, it just seems disingenuous. It seems a little bit inauthentic. Until you're at the convention center, decked out like an elf prancing into Comic-Con. Oh yeah, oh I see, I see what's going on now. You know, everyone is a witness for something. When you're talking about Oma's Hideaway on Division, I notice people get enthusiastic about their favorite restaurant. You know, when, when you're debating whether Stumptown is better than Kova, I notice you know, all of a sudden you, you seem a little narrow-minded. I, I mean, just, just, uh, just try pronouncing it Willamette, and you will find out really quick. Uh, people, people have no problem uh, telling you the absolute truth. <laughs> like, 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 everyone is a witness for something. I mean, let alone masks or vaccines, but I'm just not even going to go there. But, uh, when anything truly captures your heart, it turns you into an activist. When anything truly captures your heart, it turns you into an activist. And to have Jesus at the center of your life and to never talk about him with people that you know, people that you love, is kind of disingenuous. Like if Jesus really is the most important thing in your being, you're kind of being fake and duplicitous if you never talk about him. Like, 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 like you have to just be real about the most genuine thing about who you are. That's why it's so easy to talk about that restaurant or that coffee shop or, or that issue or that topic is because it's important to you. Um, now, you may be here listening to this and you could think, well, yeah, but Jesse, those are all personal preferences, Okay, those are all individual, but can't we just all coexist? Like, like, this is not a personal preference that you're talking about. How can we expect other people to adopt our views? How can we expect other people to uh, subscribe to our, our version of the truth? Now, I remember in college hearing about the Hindu elephant myth. I don't know if any of you have heard this, but it's a, it goes like this. It's a little proverb, a little parable about four blind men around an elephant. 
and one grabs the tail and he goes, oh, it's a snake. He thinks it's a snake. And then another one comes and he grabs the leg and he goes, oh, I found a tree trunk. Look at this. It's, it's, a, it's a strong, it's big, it's, it's a tree trunk. And then another one, uh, you know, grabs the tusk and goes, oh, no, it's a spear. You don't know what you're talking about. You're so wrong. You're, you're such a fool. It's a spear. But Leslie Newbegin, who was a missiologist who lived in India for decades, actually, because I remember hearing that and being, like, devastated, like, oh, man, that's all religions. We're all, you know, Islam is one truth. Christianity's got another. And, and here we are. We're all so narrow-minded. We're all such idiots. It's actually bigger than what any of us can grasp. But Leslie Newbegin, who lived in India for decades, shares this uh, salient insight. We'll put it on the screen for you. There's an air of humility to the statement that truth is much greater than any one person or any one religious tradition can grasp. But how does the speaker know that truth is so much greater than any particular affirmation? What privileged... <laughs> What privileged access to the reality does he have? In the famous story of the blind men and the elephant, so often quoted in the interest of religious agnosticism, and often overlooked to the point that the story is told from the, it's often overlooked that the story is told from the point of view of the king who can see the blind man. If the king were also blind, there wouldn't be a story. It is immensely arrogant to claim uh, the claim of one who sees the full truth, which all the world's religions are simply groping at. It embodies the claim to know the full reality, which relativizes all claims of the other religions and philosophies. Let me kind of unpack that for you. When someone tells you it's wrong to evangelize, they're evangelizing you. When, when, when someone tells you uh, that, that, that you shouldn't tell other people what to believe, they're telling you what to believe. The, the, um, they're compelling you to adopt a philosophical affirmation that cannot be empirically proven and is not universally held. Okay? Because Muslims wouldn't agree with them. Orthodox Jews wouldn't agree with them. Other people wouldn't agree with them. It's a philosophical point of view that they're trying to impose on you. See, everyone is a witness for something, including them. <laughs> Everyone's a witness for something. Our culture is telling us what to believe by telling us never tell anyone what to believe. Everyone has a view of ultimate reality and they think the world would be a better place if everyone else accepted their view. Everybody does. So everyone's a witness for something. <clears throat> Next thing is this. We become witnesses of Jesus by spending time seeking his spirit. You notice a couple things to notice here. Is that it says, on one occasion, this is verse 4, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. So while he was eating with them, he said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, I think it's really significant that he tells them to wait, and that Luke notes that he was eating with them. Now, <clears throat> what I want to communicate here is this, is that, is that relationship with Jesus must come before service for Jesus. I'll say that again. Relationship with Jesus must come before 
service for Jesus. And this is the essence of seeking the Holy Spirit. It's taking time to be with Jesus. It's taking time to to be in his presence. It's taking time to sit with him. We must be with Jesus before we go for Jesus. We have to sit in his presence. Um, I think you probably know if, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, and if you're not, you know, and you're like new to church, we're stoked that you're here. But, uh, but if you are familiar with the book of Acts, you might know that later when they kind of get busted by the authorities, what do the Pharisees and teachers of the law say? They say they perceived that these were untrained and unschooled men, but that they had been with Jesus. If we want to be witnesses for Jesus, we must take time to seek his spirit. We must spend time with Christ. Now, um, a way that I could kind of phrase this is that we got to wait before we work. You know, we got to to pause before we preach. We got to take time to do that. Now, I also think it's really significant that Jesus was eating with them because Jesus is always eating with people. In, In the Gospel of Luke, it's actually been noted by scholars that everything in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote Acts, everything in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, on his way from a meal, or at a meal. That's Alex Choi's kind of book right there. <laughs> Alex knows, knows all the spots to eat in town. If you, if you want to come to one of our pastor's meetings, it's talking about restaurants. That's what's going on there. But, uh, and that's very pastoral based on Luke's account. But... Uh, Uh, What I want to say, though, is this. Discipleship is friendship. Discipleship is friendship. And uh, and, um, I got to be honest (laughs) that, like, there are things my past self did that would make everyone in this room, including my present self, cringe. All right, there is some evangelism that that I participated in, some witnessing that I've done in the past that, that, like, would make everybody in here very uncomfortable, would make everybody in here cringe, including me. (laughs) But I also kind of relate with the D.L. Moody quote. D.L. Moody said, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing evangelism. (laughs) And and, uh, and, um, fortunately, things have grown. I will share one humiliating story about myself. So I did an internship in Montreal, Canada in like 2007, where I interned at a church. I live in Montreal, like no adult supervision. It was awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, we were doing witnessing, doing evangelism at McGill University, you know, cool university in Montreal. And uh, there's everybody sitting out on the grass, and I go and sit down to this college girl next to her. I sit down, and I sit down on the grass. I go, do you ever feel like your life lacks meaning? She, like, looks at me. She takes her sunglasses off. She's like, do you normally pick up on girls this way? <laughs> just, just brutal, just horrible. Uh, <laughs> I do not recommend that. But, uh, but, I, but recently I've listened to a podcast called How to Reach the West Again. Really great podcast. And I'll share a quote with you from the podcast. Rene Brule says this. He, he says he's a church planter. And um, he's a church planter in Rome. And he says secular people probably won't come or often won't come if you invite them to church. But they will often come if you invite them to your house for dinner. So I'll read that to you again. Secular people often won't come if you invite them to church. But they often will come if you invite them 
to your house for dinner. And in the podcast, the whole premise of it is how to reach the West again. It's talking about this idea that evangelism, you know, back kind of in the Billy Graham days in the 1950s, was basically just connect the dots, all right? You, it was connect the dots. You had people, most people in America, most people in the West, believed in God. They believed the purpose of life was to be a good person, and they believed in an afterlife. And so all evangelism was was connect the dots. Like, you know there's a God. You know you're supposed to be a good person. You know you've not been a good person. Wouldn't you like a Savior who can save you by grace, and then you can go to heaven when you die? And that's all evangelism was. It was connect the dots. What do you do in a city like Portland, or in Renee's case, like a city like a lot of Rome, where there aren't any dots? Where people don't believe in a God, they don't believe the purpose of life is to be a good person, they believe the purpose of life is personal fulfillment and personal expression and self-actualization, and they don't believe in an afterlife. I mean, and there's more there than I can get into in this, but what Renee points out is this. A really good place to start is just inviting somebody over for dinner. <laughs> just inviting them into your home. So, really, I should have taken the girl in Montreal out to dinner first and then asked her the meaning of life. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, um, but I think even when you do that, and, and one of Imago's five practices, right? We got the five practices here at Imago. Hear and obey the word and the spirit. We got generosity. We have, we have all these practices. What's one of them? It's hospitality. It's hospitality. It's having people into our homes. It's having people over for dinner. And, and my wife and I have been doing that for the past 15 months that we've been in Portland. And we've had, you know, probably about a dozen of our neighbors into our home. We've had them over for parties. We've gone out for drinks with them. We've sat with them. We've, we've been with them. And I just want to be vulnerable and empathize with you and just say this. It can still be scary talking about Jesus, can't it? Like, it can still be hard in that situation because once you've got that friendship going on, you feel like you're risking the friendship to talk about Christ. You feel like you're risking that relationship with that coworker at work. You're risking that relationship with that person because you're bringing up something that's so controversial. But what I, what, what I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week is this. You are risking the relationship, yes, for the potential of a richer and deeper and more meaningful relationship. You're, you're, yeah, there's still some risk, you know, to, to have your neighbors over for dinner and have them over and to talk about Christ or to, to bring up these issues. Yes, there's risk. But isn't it better? I mean, I, someone I love right now is going through a really brutal trial where, where death is on the line. And, 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 and it's kind of clarifying to me to realize, you know what? Like, I'd rather risk the superficial relationship where, ha, 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 we can talk about a movie to talk about things that really matter. You know? And, 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 and so I just want to encourage you in that, 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 that meals are a really, really good place to start and that that risk is worth it if it means a, a, a richer and deeper and more beautiful relationship. Now, he talks about baptism here in the baptism of John. You may have noticed that. And uh, in the original word for baptism, it's really interesting. I loved seeing people take the plunge last week. It was so cool. But, but the original word for baptism actually means to immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. To immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. And, and I just want to say, I think that's intentional. Okay, he's saying John baptized in, wa in water, 
but I'm about to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We can't live on drips and drops of the Holy Spirit. We can't live on drips and drops and squirts of the Spirit. We need to be immersed in him. And that is what's going to embolden us to be witnesses for the risen Christ. We need to saturate ourselves in the spirit of truth. Acts is going to say later that they were daily in the apostles' doctrine and, 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 and eating together and breaking bread from house to house, and, and they continued with one another. That, that, that the apostles themselves, they committed themselves to the word of God and to prayer. We need to immerse ourselves into the scripture, and, that, and that's because Jesus said he's the spirit of truth. Um, now, we sometimes try to live on drips and drops of the Spirit, and John Stott said this. John Stott's kind of a hero of mine. He, uh, he's not alive anymore. He's in heaven um, now, but, but he said this. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, ties the tongue like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. We bear no witness for the simple reason that we have no witness to bear. And so, my encouragement for all of us, self-included, is just that we would be saturating ourselves, waiting on the Spirit, in God's Word, on an, on an ongoing basis. You know, uh, Psalm 145, 5-6 says this, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. People shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and and I will declare your greatness. What you think about most is what you talk about most. What you think about most is what you talk about most. Your meditation will determine your communication. The more we're meditating on the scripture and, 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 and being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the more it's just going to be natural. Evangelism should be overspill, not effort. It should be overspilled. It should just be flowing out of us as rivers of living water. Now, I love that Jesus says in this passage, in, uh, in verse 4, he says, wait for the gift my Father promised. You know, the whole Christian life is a gift. Everything about our faith is a gift. It's not earned. It's not anything that we have to perform for or strive for or achieve. It's a gift of grace that we receive. And the Holy Spirit is a gift. We don't work to earn the gift. Uh, we work as part of the gift. So you don't do evangelism because then God will be proud of you, like, ah, oh, good job. No, you do. You do evangelism because in Christ, because of what Christ achieved for us, he's already proud of you. He, he already loves you. He's already infatuated with you because of what Christ did on our behalf. So, so we don't work to earn the gift. We work as part of the gift. When, when God pardons us and frees us, he goes above and beyond, and he, and he, he gives us a purpose. He, he doesn't just bail us out of jail. He, give, he, give, he makes us part of the family business. That's what Jesus does for us in Christ. So, so being witnesses, it's part of the gift. Evangelism should be overspill, not effort. You know, the word gospel means good news, and, um, and good news is always meant to be shared. You know, I'm not much of a golfer, but I was talking to a golfer friend of mine, 
And uh, actually, my barber's a golfer. He's like super into golfing <laughs> but, uh, but, um, here in Portland. But the worst thing that could happen to a golfer is to get a hole-in-one when you're completely by yourself. <laughs> like, that's the worst thing that could happen. Because good news is meant to be shared. I'm a skateboarder, all right? Skateboarders got a saying. We go, if there ain't footy, it's fiction. There ain't footy, it's fiction. Like, like good news is meant to be shared. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Has anyone here? I'll just have a show of hands. And this isn't like a weird thing, but just, just for the heck of it. But has anybody here ever lived in like inner southeast or inner uh, northwest? Anybody? Anybody ever had like an apartment in that or an office? Does anybody have an office or maybe uh, even like a warehouse you worked at in inner southeast or inner northwest? Okay. Well, being in those areas can be cool, right? There's cool coffee, there's cool food, you're, you're close to everything, you're by the river. It's really cool, you know, being in those areas. Until you get stuck behind a freight train. <laughs> then it's not cool anymore. Like, if anyone's been there, dude, you could be stuck there for hours and hours and hours. And uh, I happen to live kind of by one of the train tracks, and it's just like a nightmare. Like, it can wreck your entire day. I have had times where my, you know, human needs were at play <laughs> as, as I sat there behind the train. And, and I needed to go to the restroom, and you're stuck behind like a freight train. And you're like, what do I, what, this is terrible. Well, till my friend James Bauer shared the gospel of the overpass. That in northwest Portland, about a mile from where I live, there is an overpass to get over the train. You just have to drive up there to get there, and you're golden. And since I've discovered this magical feature, I, too, have become an overpass evangelist. You know, I tell my neighbor, they'll be complaining, oh my God, this train is insane. I regret living here. I get moved here. I'm like, no, no, no. Shh, 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 shh. Let me tell you. There's an overpass. Hey, if we really believe that Jesus is the overpass over emptiness, over anxiety, over guilt, over shame, and ultimately over death itself, how could we not talk about it? How could we not talk about it? Everyone's a witness for something. But we become courageous, generous witnesses for Jesus when we spend time seeking his spirit. All right, the last thought, we begin to bring this in for a landing, is that the spirit sends us out. He doesn't puff us they ask him, Lord, Lord, at now, at this time, are you going to restore to us the kingdom? And they're asking now, now is now the time where all where Eden is going to be on earth, where Jerusalem's going to be feasting and all of our enemies will be, be trampled upon and, and, and where you're going to establish the kingdom? And, and, they were, and, and he responds, you know, it belongs to the Father, the days or the seasons. It doesn't belong to us. It, it, it belongs to the Father to know that. And, and, and they're looking forward to something real. That, that, that's new creation where God banishes death, where he banishes sin, where he resurrects the earth. They're looking forward to that. But Jesus kind of surprises them because some of their ideas about it were really wrong. 
Okay, they believed in a Messiah who was going to crush the Romans. They believed in a, in a Messiah who was going to come and, and just obliterate Pilate and obliterate Caesar and obliterate all of their empires that was going to exalt the, the Jews into this utopia above all the Gentiles. They believed that following Christ was like Charlemagne. They, they, they believed that, that ultimately the kingdom was about power and, and, and taking and exploiting, but in reality, Jesus is showing them, no, the kingdom, it's about giving. It's about loving. It's about serving. It's a different kind of kingdom. And that brings us back to the baptisms or death. It brings us back to Charlemagne. So there's Charlemagne. Baptisms or death, executing people, banishing people, separating families. Enter a little guy you maybe have never heard of, maybe the most important person you've never heard of in, 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 in a lot of history, in medieval history. Enter Alquin. Alquin was a scholar. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a savant. He knew Greek. He knew Latin. He knew geometry. He knew, he knew astronomy. He could play music. He, he had Aristotle memorized, huge uh, sections of Cicero mes- memorized, Plato memorized. He could, he could quote 60 different scholars, both pagan and Christian. And he was known as the one man who could contradict Charlemagne. And guess what? That's exactly what he did. He convinced Charlemagne to end his evil regime of death, the the unholy Roman Empire, and instead to start schools that were free. Hello, maybe some ideas for the government, a little free education up in here. (laughs) Like to, to start universities that were free all throughout Europe, leading to the biggest mass literacy campaign in human history that brought literacy across Europe in an unbelievable way. And this is what Alquin said. Alquin of York said this, Faith is a voluntary thing, not a matter of coercion. A person can be drawn into the faith, not forced into it. See, Alquin got the kingdom. And I know church history is a mess. And I know maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, not only is church history a mess, church present is a mess. Maybe you've been hurt by someone like Charlemagne. Maybe you've been hurt by people who, who thought, is now the time that we're going to take power? Or now you're going to give us the kingdom? Maybe you've been hurt by that. But let me tell you, as kind of a church history geek, that for every Charlemagne in history, there's an Alquin telling us the true spirit of Jesus, telling us the way that Jesus meant for his kingdom to actually operate. Now, back to kind of the idea of evangelism in that exact spirit. He says he's sending them to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There'd this be explosive power that would send them out as witnesses all around the world. See, they thought that the kingdom would expel the Romans from Israel. But instead, the kingdom carried Israelites to Rome. They thought they were going to crush their enemies. But the kingdom actually called them to love their enemies. 
And they carried the message of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, all over the Roman world, even to those who hated them, even to those who who persecuted them, even to those who murdered them. They served them. They loved them. Through plagues and pandemics, they, they, they ran towards the danger and they served others. And that's the gospel that's been carried down to us. And if you associate evangelism with this hateful, holier-than-thou, superior attitude, I need you to know, anyone who ever shares the gospel of Jesus in a superior and hateful way is betraying the very message they claim to carry. If we think we're superior to anyone, we prove that we don't know the gospel. We're not saved by what we do. It's a gift. We're saved by what he did. We're not saved by how much we know. We're saved by who we know. And he loves everyone, and we're not better than anyone, but we should share it with everybody. Amen? (sighs) Father, we thank you for Jesus, who didn't come with a sword to force us to obey you. Who, who, who's a different kind of witness. He came, and, and not with a sword, but with a cross. He drew us into your kingdom. As we come to the tables, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that, that, that you're the kind of king who doesn't come and, and, and to lop off heads You're the kind of king who comes to wash feet. Make us into people of your kingdom. Make us into vibrant witnesses of your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Well, the tables are open. There's the juice or the wine symbolizing Jesus' blood. There's the bread broken for us. And let's take time. Let's wait on the Spirit so that he can make us witnesses and send us out.